Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Ah, it's January. Let the temptation begin. The new year brought new goals, new targets, new objectives, new initiatives, new promises. I will always do this. I will never do that again, ever. I will stop shopping on Sundays. I will stop eating bread, sugar, salt, caffeine, rice, meat, red potatoes, artificial sweeteners, pasta, fish, tomatoes, anything fried, grape jelly, condiments, and gum. Maybe I will just stop eating. I will stop biting my nails, grinding my teeth, twirling my hair, and tapping my pencil. I will stop smoking and drinking, buying lottery tickets, binge-watching Downton Abbey, procrastinating and gossiping at the office. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I will start immediately to go to the gym, uh, go to church, go to my mother's house, go to the dentist. I will meet new people, be on time, learn something new, reduce my stress, get more sleep, read more, get out of debt, volunteer, adopt a cat, learn to cook, give up Facebook, start journaling, and handwrite all of my correspondence. These are the easy things. Everyone does this every year. What if I asked you to stop filling your life with stuff, with comfort, and convenience, and entertainment, and sex, and success, and busyness? What if I told you that we had made idols of power, of position, of ego, of our own minds and bodies, and even our children? The good has been made bad by our worship of it. The right has been made wrong by our devotion to it. The satisfying has been made sinful by our attachment to it. We bow down at the altar of our own happiness. I am tempted by greatness. I am tempted by celebrity. I am tempted by praise. But more often than not, I am simply tempted to forget about God. And perhaps that is the greatest sin of all. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, I am excited that we are starting a three-part sermon series on a very practical subject. In the next three weeks, we're going to take a closer look at the subject of temptation. And I'm calling this series The Temptation Trap. I want to welcome you if you are joining us online or watching from different venues here at uh, Central Campus. One of the most diabolic human invention is this simple instrument, a mouse trap. This can be really destructive on the mouse, and if you're not careful on your fingers too. Yes, the mouse trap is cruel, but this is a necessary evil. Because the mouse in real life is not as cute as Mickey and Minnie. They are really, really troublesome. And if you have ever had mice problem in your home, you know what I'm talking about. They can cause annoying damage to electrical wires, books, clothing. 
and they multiply at an atrocious rate. They are on a mission to fill the earth. So our crafty human minds designed this simple but effective instrument to control the mice population. You know, I bought this trap uh, just for the sole purpose of sermon illustration. It hasn't been used, so you are welcome to shake my hands after the sermon. <laughs> Do you know what they call this uh, metal trap, metal piece here? They call this the high-impact kill bar. It makes a really creepy sound. And what was amazing to me is this particular mouse trap brand is very popular. It sold one billion. It even has a majestic name, as you can see. Victor gives you victory over mice. One billion times later, you wonder, have the mice population really not figured this out yet? I mean, it hasn't made any difference, has it? See, the success of the mouse trap is it offers the mouse something it so desperately wants. It lures and entices them, and they have no idea that there is a kill bar waiting to be released. The mice, they've seen this countless times, their counterparts going for the bait and the gory finish, and they haven't learned their lessons, have they? See, the reason I went at length to describe this graphically is because there's a striking similarity between this simple mouse trap and the temptation trap. I tell you, they work by the same principles. The technique and the intent are identical in both cases. The temptation trap offers a bait, something that we so desperately want. And the only difference is the one who sets the trap is Satan, and it's directed at us humans. The purpose of the enemy in setting this trap is to kill your spiritual life to derail you from the path that God has called you to live. And sadly, the temptation trap has worked billions of times. And we wonder, after this many casualties, haven't we figured this out yet? After all, we are sophisticated, intelligent human beings. But we haven't learned our lessons, have we? When we become Christians... The power of temptation doesn't cease. It actually increases. Because now you have been marked as a target by the enemy. Satan is not concerned about the atheists. He's not worried about the new ager. Satan doesn't sweat over the ungodly. Because they're already on his side. They belong to his team. They're not a threat to his kingdom. But if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ and you want to follow him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you are not very popular with the enemy because you are a real threat to his kingdom. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 warns us, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy is not passive. He is actively seeking for your destruction. And the primary way he achieves this is through the temptation trap. You know, we talk about spiritual warfare. 
Spiritual warfare is not primarily about casting evil spirits off people. Spiritual warfare is not primarily about going out into the streets and praying over the territorial spirits. But the way we primarily engage in spiritual warfare is through the day-to-day -day temptations of life. Because that's where the battle is fierce. That's where the enemy is active, subtle and relentless, wanting to take us down. And there are some Christians who think they are immune to temptation. You better watch out. The Message Bible translates 1 Corinthians 10, 11 to 12 like this. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God-confidence. So here you have on the one end of the spectrum, Christians who are deluded into thinking that somehow they are immune to temptations. And you have on the other end of the spectrum, Christians living in defeat, who think that they have no power to resist temptations. So they cave in without a fight. And I tell you, such Christians have not understood the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. Granted, we are not perfect and we will never be until we see Jesus face to face. But if we call ourselves as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, then God expects us to live in victory over every known sin in our life. Let's not lower that standard. And I want you to know this up front. I don't speak as a self-righteous person. I speak as one with flaws. But from the depth of my heart, I sincerely desire to live a life that is honoring to God. I want to live a life that is pleasing to Him. I want to be a more than conqueror in Christ. And my prayer for all of us at the church here is that we will learn to resist temptation. We will live a life of victory for the glory of God. The founder of Dallas Theological Seminary used to say, when we are in the front lines of the battle, we face maximum attack. But it's only in the front lines we get to see the enemy's crushing defeat as well. And that's my prayer for us. That as we learn to resist temptation, we will live a life of victory. And that will inflict a crushing defeat on the enemy. And our model for us is the Lord Jesus himself. Who was tempted in every point just as we are. And yet was without sin. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Think about this. All of the temptations that you and I face came in some form or the other to Jesus himself. And that is why Jesus is never hard on us, but we have a sympathetic Savior who identifies with our weaknesses and helps us in our struggles. And in this three-part series, we're going to take a closer look at the temptations of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. I believe there's a lot for us to learn from how Jesus handled the tempter, how he resisted the strategies of the enemy, and walked away from the temptation trap 
rather than giving into it. I'm going to ask us to stand up as we read God's word together today, taken from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Can we pause for a word of prayer and ask God to speak to us? Father, we live in a world surrounded by temptations, and we know how weak we are. But we want to live that life of victory that you have in mind for us. So would you please use this series to teach us some important lessons that we need to learn. That we will embrace the victory that comes from knowing you and walking with you in the spirit. You said it so clearly, Jesus. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from you. And today we are hungry for your word. So would you speak to us? Would you open your word to us? And that we will be able to understand and grasp your word, which in turn will give us the strength to live a life that is glorifying and honoring to you. So we commit this time from the beginning to the end to the leading of your Holy Spirit. For we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Oh, you may be seated. If I were to ask you, where in your life do you sense Satan's most potent temptations? Which physical locations make you most vulnerable? You may say, it's when I go out on a business trip, or when I go to a pub, or when I am alone at night with my computer. Or when I go into the shopping mall, these are the physical locations where we face the brunt of temptations. But who would face temptation when you're alone in the wilderness? When you're in a desert where there are no people, no activities, and absolutely no enticements. And yet, interestingly, that's where Jesus faces his temptation headlong. See, you have to realize our problem with temptation is not primarily from outside, but it has to do with the inside. Our problem is not the allurement and the pull of the world around us, but the condition of our heart 
is the problem. Jesus faces his temptation all alone in the desert. And it gave him the chance to examine the motivations of his heart. And once he had won that inward battle, he would now be ready to be launched into the world. And that's what we need today. Victory in the inward battles that takes place in the depths of our heart. And when you win that battle, you're ready to be launched out into the world. As we look at the temptations of Jesus, you may be puzzled and you wonder, how does this relate to my life? This doesn't seem very relevant, does it? I mean, how many of you face the temptation of having to change stones into bread? Is that a pressing temptation for anyone here? Or how many of you were tempted to jump off the Calgary Tower just to impress people and perform a stunt? Anybody guilty of that? You know, I want to show you today that we actually do a, have a lot in common with Jesus' temptation. Because underneath the temptation are the strategies of the enemy. And I want to expose those strategies so you can apply it to your area of temptation where you're most vulnerable. Look at the context of our passage. It flows right after the baptism of Jesus. The baptism of Jesus is such a significant event that I want to take a closer look at it next weekend because it's clearly connected to the second temptation. But this is what you need to know. At his baptism, the father spoke words of affirmation over the son. This is my beloved son, and in him I am well pleased. And immediately the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus like a dove. And Jesus was commissioned for public ministry. And right after that we see in our passage that Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted. This is fascinating. Because in the wilderness, you see a major showdown between Jesus and the forces of darkness. And the Holy Spirit led Jesus here. God had a definite purpose in the temptation of Jesus. He wanted his son to be tested. It was necessary. Because it served as a proof that Jesus was indeed the son of God. And the very purpose of his coming is to destroy the works of the evil one. So in the Garden of Eden, as you look at it, Satan tricked Adam and Eve to disobey God. And as a result, we know that sin and death has come into our world. And the human race missed out on God's best. And now we have the second Adam, the representative of the entire human race, our Lord Jesus Christ, who had come to fix this very problem of humanity. He was going to defeat the enemy and restore us back to God's original purposes. And right at the start of his ministry, Jesus is confronted by the enemy. Satan sets a trap primarily to disqualify Jesus from being the savior of the world. So the implications were really huge in our passage. While the first Adam fell into the temptation trap, the second Adam removes the power of the temptation trap by disarming the tempter. And over the next three weekends, we're going to take a closer look at each of these temptations of Jesus 
starting with the first one today. Our passage tells us, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. You know, that's actually an understatement. Because if you haven't eaten for 40 days, you're starving. You're completely famished. I don't think any of us know from experience what it means to not eat for 40 days. I mean, we feel hungry two hours after lunch. Jesus had not had a bite for 40 long days. And Satan himself appears in person to Jesus and he says in verse 3, If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Satan is not doubting Jesus' identity here. In fact, he's appealing to his rights. So the words could be better translated as, since you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Seems so innocent, so logical, makes total sense. But the heart of this subtle temptation is to act independently of God. Jesus, think of who you are. You don't need to be hungry. You don't need to starve. You don't even have to wait on God to provide for your need. Just tell these stones to become bread and they will become peanut butter sandwiches. See, as a human being with a normal human body, Everything inside of Jesus was craving for food. Did Jesus have the power to change the stones into bread? Of course he did. And Satan here was whispering to Jesus, satisfy your need now. Why continue in hunger when it is within your power to feed yourself? In fact, that lies at the heart of every temptation we face that subtle suggestion to act on your own outside of God, to take what is within your reach because it's your right. God knows we have needs, but he also sets the parameters. He institutes the boundaries, keeping our well-being in mind. And temptation urges us to meet those needs outside of God's parameters. That was the original sin. When Adam and Eve were enticed to take things in their own hands, as opposed to doing it God's way. God had given them complete freedom to eat of every tree in the garden except this one tree. And Satan tempted Adam and Eve to break the parameters of God and to satisfy them that need outside of God's will. And when they, eat, when they ate of that fruit in the garden, Adam and Eve signed a declaration of independence stating, this is our life and we will live it our way. And that has been a fundamental problem of the human race which has continued even today. And this is the test behind every single temptation we would face. Are we going to do it our way? Or God's way. You can apply this test to any category of temptation. The bottom line is your 
dependence and trust in the Lord and your refusal to walk in the path of independence. Whom do you trust to meet the deepest needs of your life? Intimacy, sexual needs, money, power, progress in career, success. In all of these areas, the temptation is, are we going to do it our way or God's way? We face this day in and day out. When Jesus was being tempted by Satan to act on his own, to use his power to make things happen, Jesus dug deep into the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus anchored himself on the truth of God's word. And he connected his temptation with the temptation of the Israelites in the wilderness. I love the book of Deuteronomy. And it appears that it was Jesus' favorite book too. Because he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy more than 10 occasions in the Gospels. And when he is speaking to the devil, that is the only book in the Old Testament that he uses to counter the devil's temptations. This is the backdrop of the story. God miraculously delivered the Israelites from Egypt. And right after that, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The main reason why God allowed them to wander in the wilderness was to teach them lessons on dependence, to wean them of their self-sufficiency. God provided them with manna in the wilderness, a heavenly food that tasted like wafers made with honey. Can you imagine this food raining from heaven for 40 years throughout the wilderness wanderings and sustaining the people of God? God did not permit his people to make their own food. They had to look to him alone for their provisions. Every morning when they woke up, they knew that there will be food on the table only if God supplies. And through this, God was teaching them a significant spiritual lesson that apart from me, you cannot survive. It was a lesson on dependence and trust. And at the end of the 40 years, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is preparing the people of God to enter into the promised land. And once they set their feet on the promised land, the miraculous provisions will cease. No more manna from heaven. Because they will settle in a land flowing with milk and honey. They will build nice houses and everything will become comfortable. And it is in this context, Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. To humble and test you. In order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. And then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. To teach you. That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The greatest challenge for Israel's faith was not in the wilderness. Because in the wilderness, they had no choice but to trust in God. 
But the greatest challenge to their faith would come when they settle into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, where the temptation would be to walk in the path of independence rather than trusting in God and applying those lessons that they had learned in the wilderness. It was so easy when Israel was surrounded by blessings to forget who blessed them. Put that in today's context. It's difficult for us to understand dependence when we are surrounded by abundance. For dependence and abundance don't go together. The bane of our 21st century is this attitude of entitlement. No other generation in history shares this attitude with us. You know, for our life motto today is, I deserve it now, even if I haven't earned it, or cannot pay for it. And in the 21st century, we have access to almost every kind of pleasure just within our reach. And as a result, there is this perpetual temptation to satisfy even legitimate desires in our way and in our time. The temptation we face every single day is immediate gratification. We're so addicted to the immediate, we don't know how to wait. The entire advertising industry strives, thrives on this very principle. See, scan through the flyers that you receive in your mailbox and look at the subtle messages that are being communicated there. Almost every marketing and advertising technique has this underlying message that you deserve this. You need this product now. And you will never be completely satisfied un unless you buy this product or avail this service. And our generation has bought into this lie that somehow all of our needs have to be met. We don't know how to live life with unmet needs anymore. So we take it on ourselves to meet all of the needs in our own strength. I have sexual needs. I need to meet them. I have financial needs. I need to meet them. I have need for a happy and a pleasure-filled life. So I will do everything I can to obtain that life. I have a need for significance. I have to do something about it. As an entitled culture, we want everything now in our way, and in our time. The path of independence. Now go back to Jesus' temptation. Isn't that what Satan was tempting Jesus to do? You are hungry now. You're facing a pressing need now. You're craving for food. So meet your need. Take it upon yourself. Turn these stones into bread. And satisfy your cravings. Immediate gratification. What was Jesus' response? Jesus quoted the very words of Moses that we read in the book of Deuteronomy. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Jesus looks at the devil right in the eye and he says, I know I am hungry. I know that I need food right now. But I cannot act independently and meet my selfish desires in a way that is dishonoring to God. My God is my provider. And even if he doesn't meet my need, his word is able to sustain me. Can we speak like that to our temptation? When you have a craving, an appetite that demands immediate attention, when everything inside of you wants that right now, can we speak to that temptation and say, no, no, it doesn't matter how you make me feel right now. I cannot act independently and satisfy this need in a way that is dishonoring to God. And if God doesn't meet my need, his word is able to sustain me. God is my ultimate provider. That's how you need to speak to your temptation. The secret of overcoming temptation is in learning to live with an unmet need. And you will learn to live with an unmet need when you realize God is more than enough. Say that to your temptation. Whether it's sex, food, money, entertainment, recognition, career, pride, envy, anger, laziness, fear. Tell them that you are devoted to God's way and you have renounced the right of independence and you can only act in a way that is honoring to God and His word will sustain you. In the last part of my message, I want to draw your attention to this simple phrase. It is written. The power of God's word. Each week, I want to give you one key to overcoming temptation. And so this is the key for this weekend. It is written. The power of God's word. Every time Satan brought a temptation to Jesus, Jesus responded with the phrase, it is written. See, when we are tempted or enticed, there's something tantalizing that is drawing us forward. And what we really need in those moments is something to ground our life on, something that will hold us together, something that is firm and unshakable. And that is the word of God. See, Jesus as a boy must have memorized the scripture, sat in the synagogue and heard the teachings from the scripture. And he personally studied the Old Testament. If memorizing scripture is hard for you, it was hard for Jesus too. See, he did not use his divine prerogatives to memorize the scripture. He did it the hard way. When you look at the weapons for our spiritual warfare listed in Ephesians chapter 6, every weapon is defensive except one. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
in this battle, in this spiritual warfare, God has given us only one offensive weapon. It's his word. Do you know how to wield your sword? How do we test the power of God's word? I challenge you to apply the Bible to your area of temptation, to the area that you're most vulnerable to. That's how you discover the power of his word. You will see how his word sustains you and enables you to say no, no matter how strong the pull is. Pastor Irvin Lutzer says, temptation is not sin. It's a call to battle. If we don't battle the temptation, it will get the better of you. And the way we battle our temptation is by anchoring ourselves in the word of God. For his word alone can provide us that unshakable, immovable, firm foundation that holds us together so we can stand against the attacks of the enemy with confidence. Not in our persuasive abilities or our human wisdom, but the word of God gives us the victory. I want to close with this story. Amy Carmichael was a missionary to the land of my birth. Went to the same province of India where I come from. And from the time Amy set foot on Indian soil, she never returned back to her homeland. Served for 55 years in India without a furlough. With one mission to rescue young girls caught in temple prostitution. Dedicated her whole life to this one noble task. When Amy herself was a young girl in Northern Ireland, she was deeply touched by a passage of scripture. She read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul talks about how the fires of God's judgment would test the work of Christians. And only those who survived the scrutiny of this divine examination would receive the reward. And Amy anchored her life on this text. And she made up in her mind, I want my life to count. I want my life to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And I want to live in such a way that I will receive a reward in the end. She anchored herself to this passage. And later in life, as she reflected on how this passage of scripture had influenced her life, she wrote these words. I said nothing to anyone, but I knew that something had happened that had changed life's values. Nothing could ever matter again but the things that were eternal. I tell you, the grave will strip you of all human accomplishments. All of the resources we accumulated, all of the things that we accomplished here on earth will be stripped away in our grave. But only a life that is built on the solid foundation of God's word will last for eternity. The power of a life anchored in his word. It not just transforms our values and brings enrichment to our lives, 
But like Amy, we transform the values of others and grant them enrichment. The key to overcoming temptation is the power of God's word. It is written. As we come to an end, I'm going to request all of us to stand up. I want us to focus our minds on just this phrase. It is written. The challenge I want to give you is, do you know what is written in the Bible about the area of temptation that you are struggling with? What is written in the Bible about that weakness that you're most vulnerable to? That's what you need to anchor your life on. And hold on to it and feel how the word of God sustains you. So in the quietness of this moment, ponder in your own heart. As you grapple with the temptation that keeps coming back at you in your life. You in this moment of silence ask God to give you something from his word that you can hold on to. And I'll close this in a word of prayer after a moment of silence. Father, I want to thank you today that we already have the victory in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you've given us all the resources that we need to live this victorious life. And today we pray, God, that we will learn to anchor our lives on your word. We will truly understand what it means when your word says we cannot be sustained by bread, but by the word of God alone. So teach us, we pray, to hold on to your promises. Teach us, we pray, to rest in the assurance, the security that comes from your word. That we will learn to use the Bible like a sword. That when temptations come from all around us, oh God, may we be able to speak the word, say it is written, and experience victory, and learn to resist the temptation that wants the better of us. So continue to teach us the next three weeks. God, that we will truly be able to experience the life abundant and full that you have in mind for us. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us but now and forevermore Amen Thanks for listening We hope this message has impacted you We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected For any questions or prayer please visit our website at cschurch.ca You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 